The Start On Demand. On demand. Justin Trudeau is in hot water after Time Magazine published a photo from 2001 of Trudeau dressed up in brown face. And then this morning, a video surfaces on globalnews.ca of Trudeau in blackface. We're also going to talk today about vaping as the first reported Canadian vaping-related illness has hit Ontario. And Kelly Keane joins us, one of our favorite guests, to talk about financial stress. Are you so financially stressed that it's affecting you at work? Kelly says this is costing the Canadian economy billions of dollars. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, September 19th podcast for The Start. I have uh, worked all my life to try and uh, create opportunities for people to fight against racism and intolerance. Uh, And I can just uh, stand here and say that I made a a mistake uh, when I was younger and I wish I hadn't. I should have known better then, uh, but I didn't and I did it and I am deeply sorry for it. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, that was Justin Trudeau and a text message coming in this morning at 6.01 a.m. So sad to see this. I'm born and raised here, but I am East Indian, and I am really upset at this pick and at our leader. And I'm shocked that this did not show up the first time he was running. <laughs> Lots the... of people saying that this morning, last night. Big time consensus on that, Loren, is where has this picture been and why did nobody find it up until now? Yeah, I think that's part of the equation in terms of what all the questions we'll be asking this morning. I'm shocked to hear that... Uh, this wouldn't have been part of the process 15 years ago when he first talked about entering politics. And I'm sorry to hear someone is sad this morning to wake up to that, that they were someone who grew up in this country and doesn't want their appearance to be a part of someone's costume. And that's what we're talking about today, that the things that we did or thought we were OK 20 years ago weren't OK then, aren't OK now. And, and what do we do with all that? Well, I have a word for this. Lots of words being used, shocking, racist, tone deaf. The word for me is bozo. (laughs) You want to wear makeup and put on a costume? Dress up like a clown. Don't culturally appropriate people. Don't do this. At 29 years old, I'm sorry, man. You were raised a certain way. You were supposed to be different. You were supposed to bring a different perspective to politics. And we all know it's been a lot of politics as usual with Justin Trudeau. But he was supposed to be a different kind of guy, a different kind of person. And I was relating to you guys in the newsroom this morning. In 1981, my mom gave me a costume that one of her friends had worn to a Halloween party and it was an air it was arab garb like something that a arab sheik would wear and i dressed in it and i got dropped off at home before going to school dance and uh i didn't feel right about it i felt super uncomfortable from the moment i put it on and at 12 years old I went and I dug up my hockey referee jersey and my hockey helmet and went to the Halloween dance as a hockey referee as opposed to an Arab person. There was no makeup involved. There was never going to be any brown face involved. But at 12 years old in 1981, 
I knew something wasn't right about it. You're going to tell me Justin Trudeau at 29 years old didn't have a sense that that was inappropriate? And I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And he was a teacher at the time. The picture was in a yearbook from uh, was it West Point Gray School in BC. Uh, and for whatever reason, the picture is just coming out now. From Time Magazine, so. But you know, as we as you say that and you express your outrage, Greg and I hear you, and I think that's something we'll all be feel, many of us will be feeling this morning. You got a text from another listener this morning saying that he's not a Trudeau supporter, but he doesn't understand what the big deal is. He writes, "If I understand this correctly, was he not at an Aladdin-themed costume party? Would it not make more sense to dress up as he did than to instead dress up as a clown?" Greg, it's not a clown-themed event; it was an Aladdin-themed event, and, and that's what people are going to also be saying. Like, sure. hang, hang on, it's a costume, and that's the word that has to be removed from this because it's somebody's culture; it's not a costume. And that's the point I'm trying to make. If you want to dress in a costume, if you want to put on makeup. Put on something that's meant to be a costume, that's meant to be entertaining, not appropriating someone else's culture for your own entertainment. We were are supposed to be past that. So, of course, he's apologized, and you'll hear much of what Trudeau had to say throughout the morning. The other leaders, not too happy with what he has to say. Uh, another text message at 204-780-6868. Middle-aged, elitist, entitled white guy who is a Fake. So we had those polls suggesting dead heat. Well, Ren McNabb, I wonder if we'll see a new poll come out in the coming days with a change. This is, this is a potential to be a game changer in a, in a race that is as tight as this one. If there were people who are on the fence who may have been waffling as to how they'll place their vote, will this be the thing that pushes them over the edge? It's certainly going to be all that's talked about today and for many days to come. Trudeau actually is in Winnipeg. This morning, we haven't seen a schedule of his events. I'm not sure if some were canceled or if it's been rescheduled or how he's going to deal with this. But there, are, there, there is no way there aren't people out there right now this morning thinking, "Ugh, I wasn't so sure. And now I'm really not sure. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. My dad recently said to me, are you, are you, how are your lungs? Are you OK? Because I'm a vapor. I go out for a vape every half hour during the show because I'm a former smoker and uh, there's been so much talk in the news out of the United States with all these vaping illnesses, deaths. And so my dad's been concerned Mm -hmm. and I, I'm paying close attention to this because I've been wondering, okay, so is it street vape stuff? Is it THC? What's going on here? And now finally Canada has its first reported case of a vaping related illness as Global's Mike Drolet explains. An Ontario teen nearly died after using e-cigarettes. A London, Ontario teenager has become Canada's first reported vaping victim. The unidentified teen was diagnosed with severe respiratory illness related to vaping, a condition so severe the youth, who has since returned home, had to be put on life support. Doctors said the teen was otherwise healthy. There was no other cause, uh, no infectious cause. The only issue that was identified was that the individual vaped e-cigarettes. It's not clear if the teen was vaping nicotine-infused e-pods or liquid THC, which is not yet legal in Canada. What we're talking about here is probably or almost certainly the case of uh, a contaminant or some toxicant in a product. And by the way, the, the best guess they have in the States is that it's THC vaping oils, not necessarily the 
nicotine-containing e-cigarettes that uh, Canadians might be buying from the corner store. Several deaths and hundreds of illnesses in the U.S. has led to a rush to action. New York and Michigan became the first states to outright ban flavored e-pods. Canada's health minister, when pressed on the issue, was non-committal. I, as your health minister, want to make sure that we have the best regulations in the world when it comes to vaping. E-cigarettes were legalized in Canada in 2018, and Health Canada still calls vaping a less harmful option than smoking. Very little is known about the long-term effects, and hospitals and clinics are only now being instructed to collect data. Researchers and physicians have voiced concerns about potential damage to the lungs and heart. The liquid is the key factor. Uh, it, everything we know strongly suggests that. And of course, tobacco traditionally smoked is not in a liquid form. So that's the key distinction. And I think that's, that's why we're dealing with something different. Canadian ERs are expecting to see far more cases in the coming months. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. I was talking to a guy in the vape shop earlier this week. Uh, I think don't think he worked there. I think he was just hanging out. But he was saying that with some of these cases, uh, they're, they're getting the, the juice off the street. It's like coming oh. from an unreliable source. It's coming like from a black market. Because they wouldn't be able to get it in store because they're not of age? Like it's being bought like an illegal drug? Could be. I, I, I've tried to put that. Like the CDC in the United States, they, they haven't committed to anything, but there, there has been talk that a lot of these illnesses might be because the juice is, is coming from an right. unreliable source. and they, with other things. And, and one of them is they're, they're cutting it with vitamin E, right. which is... Your, it's okay for your body, but not your lungs. Right. Your lungs can't so do anything. That's more with it. for your skin too, right? Vitamin E is better. That the, the concern for parents, I think, is I, the last study showed twenty five percent of Canadian teens have tried vaping, and it, the rates have doubled year over year. So you have all these kids out there that are grabbing these devices and using it, thinking it's I don't want to put good in quotes, but better for them or not not as big a deal. And it's hurting them. So if you're a mom or dad out there, you're you're thinking to yourself, you're not asking your kid, are you smoking anymore? That's not, you're asking, are you vaping? And that's part of the conversation. Well, and, and for you, it was a transition mm-hmm. from smoking to non-smoking. For kids, it's going from non-smoking, not to cigarettes, to vaping. It's just going straight to vaping because that's a thing. Yeah, and that concerns me. Like I said, I, because I'm a former smoker, I would much rather be a vapor. But I remember someone asked me once, oh, so what, that vaping, uh, what do you think about that? I'm, I th- I'm thinking of starting it uh, because it's a, nicotine is a stimulant. And I said, if you do not smoke, do not start vaping. You should never, don't pick it up because it's cool. Do it because you're trying to get off of cigarettes. Bottom line, the, I, I know it's still not good for me and I will never endorse vaping as being good for you. It's not a part of this of your complete breakfast. You know, have your bowl of Wheaties and then a side of vape. No! I do it because I don't want to smoke anymore. But, yeah, I'm keeping an eye on this and we'll keep an eye on it as well. Justin Trudeau in hot water after a 2001 brown face photo was published by Time magazine yesterday. To get more on this, Global's Abigail Beeman joins us now on CJOB. We've been watching a tight race here. Polls have them neck and neck. What does this brown face moment do to the campaign as a possible game changer for Justin Trudeau, Abigail? 
Absolutely. So that's really the question of the day. No doubt uh, this is what will be discussed uh, today. The question is how much of an impact will this have? How long will people be talking about this? What will it do uh, to Justin Trudeau? Uh, I'm traveling currently this week with the New Democrat campaign, and I do think that this is also a game changer for Jagmeet Singh, the way he came out last night uh, and responded uh, to this incident was quite impressive. He did so twice. Uh, First, he was asked about it right as the news broke and he hadn't seen the photo and he gave a very strong response uh, saying that he found it troubling and insulting and that Mr. Trudeau needed to answer for it. And then a few hours later, he came back after seeing the picture and he was very emotional. He gave a much deeper response. Uh, his, His voice cracked. He was tearing up and he talked about how it jarred him, not so much for him himself. And he's, you know, spoken about how he's he's tackled racism uh, in his life, but how it jarred him for all those people who can't fight back against racism. And he delivered a message to them. So certainly it has political uh, impacts here. It's still too early to know exactly how deep this is. That was the first text message we had from our listeners this morning with someone of East Indian descent who was so hurt by, by what they saw yesterday. And, and as we head in today, how much of the conversation is going to surround the vitriol Justin Trudeau seems to have for those in uh, parties other than his own for their past transgressions? I think this is going to be a, a big deal for, for a lot of folks in terms of being able to move on from this. That is an extremely important point, and Justin Trudeau was asked about this. The Liberals have spent a lot of time and energy attacking other candidates for things in their past, especially on social media, for their past behavior. So that question was put to Justin Trudeau last night. You know, this is what your campaign has done. How, how does it look now in, in light of this? And uh, he gave an answer about, um, you know, taking responsibility for your actions and, and moving forward. But because of that strategy from the Liberals, which was working very well in the uh, first week of the campaign, uh, or in the early days of the campaign, because of that strategy, uh, this makes this situation uh, so much worse. Any chance that this could actually help to galvanize some of his supporters? Because we're getting a lot of feedback from people who are angry that people are angry. So in a way, they, they could end up wanting to support him even more just to say enough, just drop it. Yeah, I, ha- I have seen some of that reaction as well. Uh, that's certainly one of the conversations being had. But overall, uh, the the feeling is is upset and anger uh, and uh, outrage. We spoke with uh, a number of people. As I mentioned, we put the question to to Mr. Singh um, right as it was breaking, and it was in front of a room full of a hundred people who hadn't heard this news either. And there was the general sense was just uh, unease and and upset over over what has happened. But of course, there will be people who say, you know, enough about this, let's drop it just as, uh, it's, and it's certainly not the same incident, but just as in any political situation, like with the SNC scandal as well, you know, he, he, he of course has his supporters and will watch to see uh, where they fall on this. A final question before we let you go, Abigail, uh, Justin Trudeau is in Winnipeg today. We haven't seen an itinerary for him. We know things are changing. Do we think the campaign will try to get back on track today or are they going to have to spend the day at least acknowledging it and centering any events around what came out last night? Right. Another important question. So uh, throughout this campaign, there has never been a day where we don't have uh, an itinerary 
for Justin Trudeau at this point. Uh, David Aiken is traveling with the Liberals and tells us that they were told that there will be no events before at least 11 o'clock local time. So, you know, that's considerable in terms of a a campaign being a limited amount of time. That's a considerable number of hours spent. They're obviously discussing this, how to move forward, what's appropriate, how to address this. Uh, He will certainly be questioned uh, about this again today, but still waiting to see exactly what form that itinerary takes uh, in Winnipeg for the day. Global's Abigail Beeman joining us on 680 CJOB. Yeah, lots to follow this morning with that because again, uh, Justin Trudeau is in Winnipeg. What was planned for events today is not going ahead as planned. No itinerary out at the moment. He is expected to not start doing anything for the day until at least 11 o'clock, but it doesn't really matter what's planned for this day. This will be the thing that he's asked about repeatedly. And so the question would be now in the Liberal campaign, what's damage control look like for you? And what what events would you plan then to help around that? I, I don't if I'm in that war room right now, I don't know. The reaction from NDP leader Jugmeet Singh was an emotional one. It's not for me to say that. It's for the people to decide. I'm speaking today to young people, to people who've grown up with racism, people who've grown up being, being told that they were less, being told that they were less worthy, less valuable, and couldn't fight back and had no way to stand up for themselves. I'm speaking to them, and I want them to know that you are valued, you are loved, you have worth. And please don't let this make you give up on yourself or give up on Canada because we live in a beautiful place. In fact, Singh last night on Twitter went on to say this is for the kids who've had their turban ripped off their head when they went to school when they were younger or had those moments where someone looked at them and said, why are you wearing that or what's this about? And so for him, it's obviously deeply, deeply personal. Trudeau mentioned the idea that he's gotten in trouble for this before, just this idea of kind of going in with both feet in terms of getting involved with another culture. We remember his trip to India and, and the fact that he he wore the outfit that he did. And, uh, and he got a lot of cris- criticism for that. Uh, he's done his best to uh, integrate into the, those certain communities when he's in them with his dress and his dance at times. Is he just overly enthusiastic on this stuff? Is he just like the drama? How do we account for this? I think the drama, you used the word bozo. I think the drama part is what's catching up to him now. I mean, if you look at that photo, he's really into it. And this is about dressing up and his hands are painted brown and it's not just his face. I mean, it was like all into that moment. But again, you were 29 years old. You were a teacher surely there are other people in your class or in your school or wherever you were that were of that descent that would not want you to be dressed up like that, let alone the fact that you just shouldn't be doing it anyway. Text from Scott, while I don't agree with most of what Trudeau does, I don't believe he had any racist intent. I hope I never come off as looking as a racist or sexist or that I insult someone by saying or doing something. I too am still learning and I'm in the last third of my life. Just one more thought on our top story before we switch gears for a few minutes. Text at 204-780-6868. And Greg, I know you already made this observation. No one has mentioned where his hand was on the woman's chest, crossing boundaries of decency and respect. Mm -hmm. So keep that feedback coming at 204-780-6868. Coming up at 8.37 this morning, we're going to visit with our friend Kelly Keene, who has so many titles, I had to look them up because I can never remember them all. (laughs) Author, personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, and consumer advocate for FP Canada. And we're going to ask her if she, she wants to ask you the question, are you so financially stressed that your work is suffering? So we thought we would 
gather around and talk about financial stresses that we've had in the past. And uh, Kelly Moore, have you ever had a financial bear on your back, as Greg put it? Oh, yes. Uh, it's funny uh, that you mentioned this because it immediately brought back uh, the 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 part in my life that has made me as financially careful as I am now. Uh, we had a relative who at one time had told us that, you know, if you ever need help, just call. So we were pretty much at our wits end. We, uh, you know, my wife, we chose for my wife to stay at home with the kids. So we were living on one salary. And as you guys know, in radio, mm-hmm. that's a, a challenge in itself. So we'd reached the point where I, I had to call that relative and, and ask for help. And the immediate reaction I got was, what, are you gambling or drinking? So I said thanks, hung up the phone. Uh, we made the decision to uh, max uh, to uh, live off of our credit card to make up the difference. Uh, but I immediately took on second and third jobs uh, to uh, to try to uh, uh, expand our income. And so we fought our way back from that. And from that day on, I vowed I would never pay another cent of interest to a credit card uh, once we got out of debt. This so, wasn't about living beyond your means. This is no, just trying this was, to live. Th- this yeah. was, yeah, it, and that's all it was. It was just, you know, you're, you're, as anybody knows, having two young kids, it's it's expensive. And uh, I, I, I did not make enough money to be able to pay our bills. And I'm not talking about, you know, ordering it or anything else of like that. Uh, I, I'll never forget my wife crying in the in the kitchen saying, I have to buy formula and diapers. What am I going to do? And so that's so I would work weekends from uh, 5 a.m. till 1 o'clock in the afternoon, go home, have a quick rest, and then do discos uh, Friday and Saturday nights. But I tell you what, that saved our butt. Like a, you're a DJ? I, I was, a, yeah, I played weddings and dances and, and Don't that you sort remember of thing, he had yeah. platform shoes or oh, something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this, this, is all, this is all coming yeah. together now. Yeah, what Kelly? was your DJ it, name? That's it, the important part. It, it didn't matter. <laughs> I, I played the music. I wasn't the star of the show. But it was just, you know, and yeah, it impacted on work because you're always wondering, you know, uh, can I get out of work early enough because I got to get to this other job? Or, yeah. or, or you know, got to get home and help out with the kids or whatever. So, yeah, it was it was a very stressful time in our lives. Plus, if yeah. you're doing three jobs, you're always tired. So, all three jobs, you're probably underperforming. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think not, but yeah, you probably. Yeah. A, not not to suggest. No, no, no. no but I, hardest working point, man in the a, building. It's a point well taken, yeah. though. Yeah. That that if you if you were focused on one, you'd probably be doing a better job than you you were at others. Yeah. Ron. Yeah, it always sucks, but the worst was uh, in college, I think. the last It'd always be the last couple of months of the school year because I'd blow it all early, and then it'd be like, oh, I've got $400, and I've got three more months of school. What am I going to do? And then you just have to scrape by and just pizza and a little less beer than you'd like and <laughs> fewer cigarettes than you'd like. And I, I always had, like, a car that needed more oil than a car should need or whatever because it just leak constantly. So I remember spending a lot of money on oil in college. Forte? For me, well, I, I'm i recently just moved out, so I haven't really dealt with debt. All I know is that I have OCD, and once my bank account gets to a certain part, and once it gets a little lower than I like, then I start stressing out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just I try to find other little jobs I can do to make up that money and get to that spot where I feel comfortable. 
I, I have the same thing, and I don't know if that's from growing up. Uh, you know, we grew up on a farm, and so obviously there's every year is different. Some years are great. Some years are really awful. There were years when, like, a frost would hit a crop of flax, and that would be that, like, my parents would be devastated because it was like, how are we going to get through the next few months? And so having that in my background, I think I'm always super, I have the same fear in my checking account. Yeah. And all through university, I never had less than three jobs, sometimes four jobs, to which I would be working 60 hours a week and going to school just because I was like, you wanted to not put a burden on your parents. Right. You wanted to pay for your stuff. You wanted to be independent and you wanted to get ahead and it never, ever felt like you were ahead, but you at least felt like, okay, well, if I have to, I know I can do this. Right. And that, I, I don't know, that fear is always kind of there, even in my forties. Brett? I had credit debt for pretty much my entire adult life until last year. I got a credit card in university because the MasterCard was set up. It was first week of university. I was 18. I just turned 18. I decided to sign up for the card. And it took a while before I used it. I bought a car stereo at Advance Electronics. I think it was like 600 bucks for the, the deck and the speakers. And from that moment on, I had credit debt. And it got... Uh, overwhelming to the point where I needed to get, I think I actually had to do this twice where I went, went to the bank to consolidate all my various credit debt. And it was just a huge pain. I had, I had to work a second job, Kelly, as well. Oh. For I mean, the second job here was I worked Saturdays at CJOB for close to 10 years because I wasn't making enough to pay for my bills, but also still enjoy life a little bit. Yeah. I didn't want to just pay my bills. I wanted to be able to get a pizza from time to time and go out with friends from time to time. But uh, yeah, getting that off my back has been just wonderful. It's because it, it, it just, it, it's always there. Like you said, Greg, it's a bear that just kind of drags you down just a little bit. Uh, whenever I thought about money, it was just always stress, always stress. And even thinking about it now gives me anxiety. Yeah, you're giving me anxiety as well because I'm thinking about different times in my life where I've been there as well. And uh, sometimes you, you need a you need a helping hand and you need some guidance. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Kelly Keene about this because she always has some great advice on how you can uh, sort this out yourself. What more needs to be done to make the downtown safer? That's the question the Manitoba Police Commission is asking after announcing it will spend the next two months coming up with a strategy to improve safety in our downtown. There's already a high police presence in the downtown area, not to mention cadets and safety ambassadors employed by the downtown biz. Now, despite their efforts, a 2017 survey found 84% of Winnipeggers would feel unsafe walking alone at night in the downtown. That's the perception. We also know the reality is that crime, like much of Winnipeg, is up this year over last in all sorts of neighborhoods, including the downtown. So what more can or should be done? To help answer that question, we're going to travel south to Minneapolis, which has actually been referenced by Premier Brian Pallister as a city that has a downtown safety model we should look at and consider. Shane Zahn is the Director of Safety Initiatives with the Minneapolis Downtown Improvement District, and he joins us now. Good morning, Shane. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, What was happening in Minneapolis 15 years ago that turned out to be the tipping point that launched a whole host of new initiatives for your city? Yeah, you know, um, really uh, public perception of safety and the reality of safety back in 2005 was hitting a high. Um, So uh, an effort uh, was led by the Minneapolis Police Department, the city of Minneapolis and Target Corporation to build uh, a strong public-private collaboration around safety efforts. 
um, and really had three parts. It was uh, first part building a leadership team or a collaborative leadership team that could discuss the challenges and implement some initiatives um, and not just letting law enforcement do that, this themselves. Um, so I think that was a key piece to that success. Um, we actually modeled a lot what the UK was doing with Met, Met Poli- Police Department on communications with their private security officers. So it was, they called it the force multiplier at the time. Um, for every one police officer, there's roughly probably 15 security officers in the downtown area here in Minneapolis. And every one camera uh, that the police may own, there's probably 15 t- uh, times that in the private sector. So they started off with a radio link program connecting law enforcement to um, private security teams um, and called radio link now and still exists. So I have to ask you the question. You mentioned cameras, and and we had a discussion uh, that we replayed uh, from something that happened on our air yesterday in a conversation around security cameras. And the question we had for one another was, are cameras a deterrent, or are they just excellent at capturing something that might have gone sideways in an attempt to capture capture the perpetrator? What's your experience been in Minneapolis with that, Shane? Is it a deterrent? I think it can be a little bit of both. What I can tell you that uh, video evidence is is um, absolutely critical for evidence gathering. Um, instead of telling the story or the incident, you can show it. Um, you probably saw some robberies that happened that hit nationally, and in that that video footage was provided by private security cameras, um, and it was critical in the investigations to these rash of robberies that we were having, a string of robberies, not only for the investigations but also to be able to charge out those cases. As to the deterrent piece of it, um, it's hard to tell. There's so much camera clutter nowadays out in, into cities, whether they're safety cameras, traffic cameras. Um, so I, I don't think as a deterrent it may or may not. I, I don't have a good way to measure that. Um, but I can tell you through prosecution, it, usually with good at video evidence, is a successful um, uh, evidentiary piece. Um, and then proactively using it as well, too. I mean, those cameras also are up there and then can be monitored by police or even the private security if they have their own. So um, I, I think that they, they are a valuable tool and resources um, uh, for our city. They multiply the eyes to a certain extent, right? If you have someone behind, behind a, a console with multiple monitors, they can then dispatch uh, based on where there might be trouble. Is, is that the idea there? Yeah, that is the idea, and, and not just for, for safety concerns, but, you know, for other things. You know, as, as we look, um, we don't just do safety. We do cleaning as well, so it helps us operationally look at areas that might need to be cleaned a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of uses for cameras, um, I think, in, in, a, in a city. The big question, has it worked? The, you know, in terms of what the impact has been on crime in your downtown in Minneapolis, is it making a difference? It, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, this year we're having a challenging year. We're, our violent crime is up 18%. Um, that's 93 incidents uh, year-to-date compared to last year. Um, and our robberies have spiked. We have a 48% increase in our robberies at 82. Um, you probably saw some uh, national news that went on on a string of robberies, very violent. Um, but out of those string of robberies, I think the video in that particular case helped uh, charge out 18 individuals uh, that were suspects in the cases. Um, as to, you know, I, I think there's a lot, there's not one single solution to safety initiatives that will bring down crime or uh, bring crime up. Um, I think it has to be a, a holistic approach of many different strategies. Um, but I can tell you what's key to success is not letting the, your police department tackling public safety on their own, um, bringing the community at large to really be helpful in public safety is key to any success. 
Shane Zahn is the Director of Safety Initiatives with the Minneapolis Downtown Improvement District. Joining us live on the start, Shane, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this. Yeah, anytime. Very excited this morning because back in studio, it's been a couple of months, author, personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, and consumer advocate for FP Canada, Kelly Keene joins us live on CJOB. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. Always such a great introduction. Love being here. You guys are are amazing. I'm great, guys. How are you? She looks so good. I know this is like inappropriate to say, but (laughs) nobody ever looks as good in radio. It's Kelly. Aww, when it doesn't her. matter, she walks in. Aww, you guys are very I fun. want to agree with you, but it's, yeah, it's inappropriate for me to agree. Even me saying that was probably going so, too I far. I won't agree era. with you, not because I, I don't want to. It, it, it's a good reminder of about um, feeling good helps you to act good and mm. to make good choices, right? Like if you get up in the morning and you're... If you're struggling with anything, finances or other, it's you gotta, you gotta put your game face on. Hey, you know what? There's been times when I, I, and it was self-inflicted that I did not have money, did every, I've been on the show talking about that in my 20s, and that would be the thing, is I would get up, put on my best suit, mm-hmm. regardless of how my debt was or whatever, and you do. You feel better, you feel a little bit stronger, whatever that is for you. It might be your best, you know, Lululemons, no, what, no judgment, sure. right? Sure. It could yeah. be a purse, could be a pair of shoes, exactly. it could just be having your hair not unwashed <laughs> like mine currently is now faking it till you make it can be expensive and we had a conversation with kelly moore he wasn't faking it till he make made it but he did count on credit cards for one point in his life and i'm only sharing this because he shared it with us uh, out of necessity and then realized mm-hmm. hey i can't do this made a dramatic change and and worked something out there are a lot of people i think in that in that way right now, right? That whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses mm-hmm. and FOMO, and YOLO, yeah. Mm-hmm. All that stuff and credit is so accessible. Yeah. Are we carrying that stress to work? Oh, 100%. Yeah, we absolutely are carrying that stress to work. You know, you see everyone living this lifestyle that looks better than yours. And yeah, we're 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 spending more, um, getting into more debt. So the Canadian Payroll Association, they come out with their paycheck to paycheck survey every single year. And last week I was in speaking for them in Winnipeg. Um, and it is costing the, the Canadian economy $16 billion in lost productivity from employees worrying about their money in Manitoba. It's costing $700 million to the province. Why would that be? Uh, They found that um, 25% of those surveyed, and this was a robust survey, it was like 4,000 people, of Canadian workers said they were spending at least 30 minutes a day or more in loss, like worrying about money. Uh, 43% nationally are living paycheck to paycheck in Manitoba. That goes up to 50%. So can you imagine like if, if just that one paycheck mm-hmm. doesn't come in, mm-hmm. uh, how much stress that would be causing? I'm with FP Canada and we do a number of surveys too. And, and, and one came in saying uh, actually one that we repeated a number of times that over health, over relationships, over work, people are stressing about money. And Dr. Moira Summers, who's from Winnipeg here, my friend who's a neuropsychologist, uh, she weighed in on that survey and talked about the cognitive capacity depletion. Like, you can't think when you have money stress. And she said so much so that it actually lowers your IQ temporarily. So imagine you're at work, you're losing productivity, and you can't even think because you're stressed about money. So what do you do? Because it's really hard. I mean... 
I can't be the only person in a relationship where your husband might text and say, hey, such and such a bill is due today, but if you pay it, make sure you use this account, not that account, right? right? And then once that conversation starts going, sometimes that's because it's a tight money month, Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's just about balancing your different, you know, places that you have things. But either way, once those conversations start in a workday, that's what you're thinking about. Exactly. So where do, how do I park that? Or what's it about when it comes to reducing what we're thinking about at work and or maybe just managing our money better. Well, and some people, it might not be what account it might be. Do you even like have the cash? Yeah. Do you have the cash? Or like Greg was saying, like, is that credit card maxed out? Can I pay for necessities with that credit card? So it's stepping back. There's a few things. Um, More and more employers are offering pay yourself first programs. These are so important, especially if you've got matching dollars that your employer's offering. And um, it's been estimated that three to four billion dollars is left on the table every year and employees not taking advantage of what their employers are offering. What does that look like? um, What is that kind of program? So like uh, that would be like RSP matching uh, in your pension, things of that sort. People just not taking advantage of that. So number one, dig in, call your HR person, dig into what your benefits are. Number two, uh, if you're stressing, you need to reach out to someone like a certified financial planner. Maybe there's tax credits you're not taking advantage of. Maybe there's grants. Maybe you're stressed about putting your kids through university, but there's money there. You're helping out your parents because you're part of the sandwich generation. They're going to help you if debt is screaming at you. You want someone like a nonprofit credit counselor that's going to help you sit down and look at, okay. And then the big, big takeaway is having this cushion. 50% of Canadians are $200 away from not being able to pay their bills. That, that is what's keeping people up at line. night, right? It's like when you like are so desperate for that paycheck or, or like you said, you're juggling like just the minimum payment on a credit card. You're like, oh, don't even talk to me about personal finance. I'm just trying to stay afloat. So that's where it becomes super Super, super important that you're looking at what you're spending. We've talked about that before uh, and finding any dollars you can to create that cushion. And it's also important for companies then to pay attention if they're losing <sighs> $16 billion right? a year in productivity. Absolutely. like and, and of that survey, and it was around 72 or 73% of, of, of employees said that they would like financial education in the workplace. They'd like to know about what they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Someone th- that comes and says, hey, exactly, like you've got something on your heart and well, mind. You get that pension statement and I sometimes look at it and I go, I don't know, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know mm-hmm. what this means. And then you're now everything's online and you're supposed to access it, but you yeah. still I walk in and go, I don't know what right. button I'm supposed to click here. Like where's the person that can come in once a month and talk to the employees? Well, I have a goofy situation right now. My kids are one of my kids has braces. Okay. So they bill that to us every month. Yeah. But I'm not set up online <laughs> with the to put my uh my receipts into the insurance uh. company online. So guess what? I have five months worth of braces of receipts that haven't been processed yet. That's my money. Yeah. And I'm just being dumb about it, either because I'm too busy, too lazy, or too dumb to figure out the online system. And I need to get on that. The, 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 there are little things like that sometimes. Yeah. You, you know, Scotiabank says you're richer than you think. Yeah. Sometimes you are. Exactly. Sometimes that's true, right? Yeah. And you're so right. Like, we all have our to-do list, and you'll have this thing to do, and you'll look at it like, okay, uh, file receipts for braces. It's 
seem simple, but then when you unpack it, there's really eight steps maybe. You've got to find it. So it's like, uh, get better with my money. Okay, what does that mean? You're like, pull pension statement out. Now you just Whew. go, forget it. I have no clue because there's this mutual fund. What the heck is a mutual fund? And and then you just, you just stop. It's overwhelmed. That's why when you watch Dr. Oz and he says, eat blueberries, here's why. Go buy them. Then you do one thing, right? So it's just like one thing, but this too underscores the importance of bringing a professional into your life. We think that we can handle it all on our own. We should know how we don't reach out for help. Um, and, and uh, you know, even just like Google stuff, like, you know, just, just start to understand the basics. You can get some of that stuff for free. You can yeah. go to your bank or, but there's, oh, but there's credit counseling societies. There's different folks Tons out there who are willing to stuff, take your questions. But don't think you have to do it on your own, right? Kellykeen.com is the website that's spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y. K-E-E-H-N dot com. The headline, once again, financial stress in the workplace costs Canadian economy $16 billion annually. Kelly is an author, a personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, consumer advocate for FP Canada, and one of our favorite guests here on The Start. Kelly, thank you for the visit as always. Oh, so nice to see you all. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've learned in the last 24 hours that a Canadian vaping-related illness has been reported in Ontario with a young person having to go on life support, Loren. Yeah, it's uh, the first case in Canada. We know there's been several cases in the States. There's also been deaths reportedly linked to vaping and e-cigarettes, and that's raising all sorts of concerns. After 9.30, we're going to talk to the uh, Cancer Coalition about what they're calling on the government to do, but we'd like to hear from some students. If this is a problem amongst teens, and we know it is in terms of the increased rise of e-cigarette use. We know that double the number of teens are trying e-cigarettes this year than they did last year. And so obviously it's a topic of conversation amongst uh, high school students and, and amongst parents as well. We're joined now by Cindy Tuck, who is a grade 12 student at West Kildonan Collegiate. And she's also with the group known as SWAT, which is Students Working Against Tobacco. Good morning, Sydney. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Let's just start about what you see in the hallways and around your school. How prevalent, how often are you seeing someone you know vaping? Honestly, unfortunately, it's quite a bit. Uh, and I know certain people who feel the need, like they need to do it every five minutes. So they leave class and do it or they go and put their head inside of their bag and just take a what's called a chooch. A chooch? Yeah. <laughs> inside their bag, like inside the school, because you yeah. would never get away with smoking a cigarette inside a school in this day and age. But people are mm-hmm. actually, they're actually vaping inside the school. Yeah. Uh, they try and hide it as much as they can from the teachers because they will get in trouble, but it doesn't seem to stop them. The, the devices that they're using, uh, is it these jewel style kind of sticks or any, are they using sort of bigger uh, devices? Like what are they doing it with? Mainly the jewels, anything small so they can try and hide it. So what's the lure? And, and first, maybe I should ask, have you ever been compelled to try it before or, or vape? Uh, personally, I have not, even though I've been offered many times by all of my friends. I just haven't found that need. I don't understand why it's so appealing to people. Why are, the, why are your friends or classmates saying it's appealing to them? For them, they like getting uh, nicked out and getting kind of this head rush. Uh, some of them really enjoy the flavors, which I know is a big attraction to the kids. Now, the uh, the the students who are doing it, are are they doing it like having been a smoker or are, have they just started vaping? 
most of them weren't actually. Oh, Sydney, are you still there? Yes. Hi. Okay, we just lost you for a second. You were saying most of them were not smokers? Yeah, most of them uh, were not smokers originally, and then they tried it or tried vaping uh, once or twice and just decided that it was, it was fun, it was cool, so they just stuck to it. So what is students working against tobacco? What are you trying to do to talk to your friends about this or your classmates or to make a difference here? Yeah, well, usually what we would do is we would go to younger uh, classes and groups and try to educate them about tobacco. But since the recent kind of outbreak of vaping, uh, we're adding a component in all about vaping. We're trying to learn about the effects and what it does to you, trying to talk to younger kids to get them to not go into it, and hopefully talk to older students like myself uh, and try and get them to stop. How do you how do you manage that whole idea of being offered a vape or, or a jewel or whatever it might be? How do you say no? <laughs> uh, it's definitely awkward at times, especially with, you know, a close friend in there. Not trying to pressure you, but trying to say, oh, come on, like, it's not that bad. But personally, I just try to have a positive attitude and tell them, you know, it's not the greatest. We don't know all the effects of it yet. Uh, and, you know, my decision is my decision. What? What happens in school if you're caught vaping? Like, is there a punishment? I know back in my day, you'd be suspended if you were smoking on school grounds. Is it the same go for vaping or is it more of just stop doing that? It's kind of stop doing that. But if you are doing it around, because we have a kindergarten daycare kind of place uh, or if you're refusedly doing it, I know that they will kind of take you out of school. And where are they getting the these vapes? Uh, from certain vape shops. And I believe you have to be... 18 and above to shop there. However, a lot of them are 80 and just kind of look the other way when you go and buy. Okay. Well, and uh, are they are your students addicted to these? Like, are they? You know, some might just be doing it because they think it's cool, but are some of them actually addicted to the nicotine? I would say that they are. Honestly, I've seen people try and go like a day without vaping, uh, and they have like withdrawal symptoms, and they don't know kind of what to do, and they're craving it, and they go a little crazy. Okay. Sydney Tuck is a grade 12 student at West Kildonan Collegiate. She's also with Students Working Against Tobacco or a group called SWAT. Sydney, thank you for joining us. We appreciate the time. Of course. Thank you for having me. That's a huge difference there. Hey, that you can vape without being caught in that sense, because unless it has the strong odor, you might not even notice it. Yeah, it might just might smell like someone's perfume yeah, or something. Absolutely. Body so spray. that's the difference. It's, you can't pull out a cigarette in school, but you can get away with it more potentially because of its form and its odor. And a, just a quick note on those jewel things, the things with those, those are risks. I would recommend looking into them if you're considering switching to smoke from smoking to that because it's a heavily concentrated nicotine. Mm-hmm. And I tried it once and even I got a buzz off of that. And uh, I don't like that because that's too much nicotine. So that's why those jewels are, uh, I don't know, I... I'm not a fan. Some of the terminology Sydney was using in there, uh, sort of new to me. You guys uh, opened your eyes wide on a couple of things. She's a nicked out, nicked I think out. she said. That, so that I've heard. When you're saying, but that would apply to cigarettes. Like oh, people yeah. would get that f- sensation too. Yeah, when you, that, that's why you get hooked on the nicotine. You like the head rush. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, our top story. That cjob.com has to do with Justin Trudeau. First, the brown face photo yesterday published by Time Magazine. And today, Global News got a video of Trudeau in blackface. And the question of the day at cjob.com 
is what's your reaction to Justin Trudeau's brownface photo and blackface video? And the latest results, it's still very close. 48.45% say, what's the big deal? 47.42% say, I wasn't voting for him anyway. And 4% say, I'm not voting for him anymore. We've also got that poll up on Twitter. And on Facebook at 680CJOB. And as well on Instagram, we put up a a modified version of that poll on Instagram and Facebook. And we've got uh, audio here of the Prime Minister. He faced a throng of angry reporters yesterday. They were just yelling at him, Loren. Well, I want to, there's so many questions out of this. You know, he came right out. He said, I dressed up. That was me. I apologize. I'm very sorry. You know, people expect better of me and I'll do better. But he was repeatedly asked as well, would you resign? Because... Something that I I shouldn't have done many years ago. uh, And I recognize that I shouldn't have done it. You you resign. You resign. Many in the United States, when they've been discovered of these sorts of things, they are asked to resign. Have you given thought to resign? Uh, I take responsibility for my uh, decision to do that. I shouldn't have done it. I should have known better. Uh, It was something that uh, I didn't think was racist at the time, but now I recognize um, it was something racist to do, and I am deeply sorry. I need to resign from my itchy trigger finger there. Sorry, McNabb. No, that's okay. I said he was asked that repeatedly, or at least three times in that, you know, 12-minute scrum on the airplane. Trudeau, by the way, in Winnipeg, as we speak, he's planning some events, but we think, we don't know. He landed around 1 a.m. this morning and did have some stuff scheduled, and that sort of all changed in light of this. But he was asked that because he, because he has been critical of other people in the past, not necessarily in a brownface or blackface incident, but using, say, Andrew Shear as an example and his comments on LGBTQ and whether or not he'd be part of a pride parade or reopen the debate on same-sex marriage. All those things have been raised because of old video, and the liberals have attacked the Conservatives for what's happened in the past. And so the question has been put to the Trudeau about, well, what are your thoughts about your past and whether or not you need to resign? And it's not even a question about what he did. It's more about what he said he stood for, Greg. Uh, in my mind, that's exactly right. And the way he has handled some of these revelations of other candidates, things that have been unearthed, things that have been shared, and it's almost vitriolic the way they go at members of other parties when they make a mistake. They've not been happy with Andrew Shear's response to some of the things candidates have been caught either posting in their social media or video that's been unearthed of Andrew Shear and others. Uh, when Andrew Shear didn't really go as far as to make an apology uh, late last week with regard to his stance on the LGBTQ and and community and and gay marriage, he, he walked it back a little bit, but he didn't apologize. Well, the liberals were all over him uh, for being that way and for not coming out and apologizing. And I thought Trudeau's apology was pretty weak yesterday. But he used the words, if we're going to go after someone for not using the I'm sorry, he said, I'm sorry, I bet you 17 times in a matter of minutes last night. Yeah, but I'm sorry is also apparently not good enough for some liberals as it as it pertains to conservatives and their transgressions in the past. So, you know, I look at it this way. You treat others as you expect to be treated. Give what you want to get. And I think both proverbs are going to come back and bite Justin Trudeau right where it hurts uh, on this one, because he has been very pompous, very arrogant, in my opinion, when it comes to other people doing things wrong. And I didn't think he was super contrite in his apology yesterday, not to mention the fact he was given an opportunity to bring up if he had done this another time. He said, yes, he had one other time. Well, here we are less than 15 hours later, 
and there's a video of him. I don't think doing the Deo song in high school. We don't. We haven't confirmed where it's from, but there's a third now instance where his face has been painted face black, or there's black been, makeup. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. The, I'm just saying we, the, the feedback that we're getting at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. It's just an avalanche of feedback, and as you referenced earlier, Loren, very divided on this. People are either angry with him or they're saying, what's the big deal? That's why we included that as an option at uh, in our question of the day. Uh, Len, for example, says, morning, how many times have people dressed up for Halloween in costumes like men as women or other people? I myself dressed as buckwheat from Little Rascals. I won second place. My friend did an amazing makeup job. It even fooled people at a house party after the contest at the convention center. So does that make me or the judges or people at the party racists? Grow up, people. So what? Are kids now have to dress as themselves so they don't offend anyone? Well, that's not what's happening. Kids are dressing up as, for the most part, fictional characters because it's supposed to be a, a fanciful evening where you imagine what you could be in another world for the most part, right? There's witches and there's goblins and there's all the rest. I think we can put aside the idea that we dress up as somebody else's as someone else in the sense of a culture or a misappropriation there. That's just not acceptable anymore. So sure, then you can go back. This was 19 years ago, 18 years ago. Is there a timeline question for you? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's going back too far, except for there's two things that stand out for me. He was 29 years old at the time, and he was a teacher. Mm -hmm. So we had also somebody I saw on Twitter last night, uh, this morning rather, say, I grew up in BC where he was teaching, um, and I can only imagine what I would have felt like if I had walked into a classroom and he, this is a young East Indian kid, and saw my own teacher dressed up like me? Put it in that perspective. Imagine a kid of East Indian descent walking into that classroom, seeing him in the turban or Arab or whatever where, whatever would be your connection to that, and then say, why are you dressing up like another person? It's, it's, not, it's not the same thing. Got a text message here, Greg, someone calling you out. Yeah, I see that. And I, I want you to read it and I'll, I'll react to it. So earlier, Greg talked about how when he was 12, his mom got him a costume. It was Arab themed and Greg put it on and he didn't feel right wearing it. So he grabbed his hockey helmet, his hockey ref shirt and went as a hockey ref to the school dance. So the text says, you thought when you were 12, you were being racist dressed in an Arab costume? Give your head a shake, man. You had no idea on racism when you were 12. Give me a break. Well, I had watched Roots, uh, which gave me a little bit of an idea and a history of racism in America. My uh, stepfather is mixed race. And so I have a little bit of an idea of the things that he went through when he came to Canada. But that's not why I didn't wear that. I didn't even use the word racism. It was uncomfortable. Do I think Justin Trudeau is a racist? No. I think he's a bozo, and I think he just clearly isn't getting the signals. There's something that's missing here, something that was missing at some point in time in his life about what was appropriate. I'm not going to call him a racist. I'm going to call him what I think he is, and that is dumb. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. How do you not understand the fact that this was maybe not appropriate for you to do. At 29 years old, you're the son of a former prime minister. You have traveled probably all over the world by the time you're 18 years old at the side of your father, and you don't understand how this could be construed and how this could be bothersome to some people. Don't even use the racist word. It's just dumb. Another listener text, which makes a good point here. Trudeau needs to step down now, he writes. The same guy who's trying to wipe away Canadian history by taking down statues of men from 150 years ago. This is 
BS. And the point there about, you know, John A. McDonald being under debate for things he did or did not do, there's a time frame there and there's a different time and place. And then he was, Trudeau was screamed at for, you know, trying to rewrite history, but also making the point that we need to do better and acknowledge how we can do better by showing that some of the things we did 100 years ago were not acceptable then and aren't acceptable now. That was basically the argument with that. Wasn't, shouldn't have been done then. So we aren't going to accept it now. Well, then the same thing has to go for his actions. One of our listeners saying is Barbara Eden or was Barbara Eden racist because she dressed up like a genie and I dream a genie. There was no makeup there. She was a blonde woman. She wore a costume of a fictional character. I would I would steadfastly say nothing racist about that in any way, shape or form. Also, Aladdin was not a genie. He was just a kid. On the streets. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Aladdin wasn't the genie. He wasn't the genie. Okay. Uh, And just a quick update on the CJOB question of the day. So far, uh, oh, I wasn't voting for him anyway has taken the lead. 49.57% say I wasn't voting for him anyway. And 45% say what's the big deal with 5% saying I'm not voting for him anymore. On Twitter... Similar result, 51% say wasn't voting him anyway, 40% what's the big deal, and then uh, the modified poll, which went on Facebook, only two options, so your options were you can vote for shocked and appalled, or what's the big deal, and that is close, it's basically 51% what's the big deal, 49 shocked and appalled, so cast your vote, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course at cjob.com. getting a lot of feedback this morning on vaping after learning that someone in Ontario, the first reported Canadian vaping-related illness following all the stuff that's been happening in the U.S., Loren. Yeah, uh, some of the questions being raised by our listeners in terms of what happens in schools and how it works and what is their con- what is the main concern. There's a call to action in Ottawa this morning after Ontario teen was put on life support, as you mentioned. Again, a case linked to vaping. It's the first Canadian case. It's got parents, health officials, all sorts of people sounding the alarm. At this hour, there are a whole host of health groups like the Canadian Cancer Society, the Lung Association, calling on governments at all levels to do more to address youth vaping. Here's what grade 12 student Sydney Tuck told us earlier this morning about what she sees at her school at West Kildonan Collegiate. How prevalent, how often are you seeing someone you know vaping? Honestly, unfortunately, it's quite a bit. Uh, and I know certain people who feel the need, like they need to do it every five minutes. So they leave class and do it or they go and put their head inside of their bag and just take a what's called a chooch. A chooch. Yeah. <laughs> inside their bag, like inside the school, because you yeah. would never get away with smoking a cigarette inside a school in this day and age. But people are actually they're actually vaping inside the school. Yeah, uh, they try and hide it as much as they can from the teachers because they will get in trouble, but it doesn't seem to stop them. Pretty eye-opening stuff from Sydney, I think, Brett. I mean, you, you vape and you have your reasons for doing it because you used to smoke. Mm-hmm. But you've always said it's not something you'd say, go out and try right now. Yeah, I, if someone were to ask me, hey, I'm thinking of starting vaping, I'd say, are you nuts? Like, what are you doing? Now, you can vape juice that does not have nicotine it doesn't all have nicotine and that's what a lot of people do they start juice with because you can get varying levels of nicotine so when you make the switch from smoking to vaping they recommend you start high and then if you want to sort of drop down you can eventually go to zero and then eventually the idea is that you'll just knock it off entirely Um, which is why people have used it as this phase out yeah so it's a way to to kind of phase out your need for nicotine because nicotine is one of one of the hardest things to kick Um, 
Uh, but I, even if someone were to say, I'm just going to start it, I won't even do it with nicotine, I would still say you're nuts. Don't. Just yeah. don't. Well, the big concern for youth is the fact that, you know, uh, young people trying vaping has more than doubled in the last year. At least one in four kids have admitted to trying e-cigarettes. So in this time when we have fewer people smoking, you have now it seems to have a problem with uh, kids and adults switching to vaping. Rob Cunningham is with the Canadian Cancer Society. He is in Ottawa this morning and he joined us to discuss his concerns. Our question for you, Rob, are we at a tipping point here when it comes to vaping? Um, there has been a lot of recent attention uh, with respect to youth vaping, especially because what's happened in the United States. Um, we are calling on all parties to take effective measures quickly if they form government to reduce youth vaping. We've had this huge increase in youth vaping, and we need new measures to uh, restrict advertising, similar to what we have for tobacco advertising, to have a maximum nicotine level, similar to what the European Union has done, and to ban all additives and flavors except those that are specifically permitted. Rob, this this feels like it was somewhat predictable, this outcome. Well, uh, obviously it's a tremendous concern, and uh, the history with respect to cigarettes and secondhand smoke is it turns out to be a lot worse from a health perspective than originally thought. More evidence is coming out uh, with respect to e-cigarettes, and governments, federally and provincially, uh, need to move immediately. What can the Manitoba government do? They can increase the minimum age to 21 for both tobacco and cigarettes, as 18 states have now done. And these flavored products, they should get them out of convenience stores. They should be sold in adult-only, especially vape shops. That's all. There's part of me that sits here and thinks, okay, well, hang on. We've got tobacco out there. We know kids are still smoking, although in declining numbers. What's different to you about this? Is, it, is this a different conversation than saying talking to our kids about not smoking? What are the added concerns when it comes to vaping? Well, vaping is highly addictive. A part of the issue is it's new. Uh, the increase in youth vaping has spiked very quickly. The device may look like a, you know, a memory stick, you know, a flash drive. Parents may not know that it contains nicotine. It's actually a, you know, an e-cigarette. Um, and uh, so I think many kids don't realize it may contain nicotine or that it's addictive, but that's exactly what's going on. And so I think it's important for all of us to be having these conversations. At the same time, government regulation, federally and provincially, is going to be essential as well. Are we saying we should be more worried about this than tobacco, or does this fall in the same conversation we need to have with our kids? Well, uh, it can fall in the same conversation. Uh, we need to be uh, very much worried about tobacco. I mean, you know, tobacco has, you know, it's a least amount of cause of disease and death. And there are so many more tobacco measures that we should be implementing. Um, but we don't want all the progress we've seen in reducing youth smoking to be undermined with a new generation of kids getting addicted to nicotine through e-cigarettes. So we're certainly we're concerned. Uh, we're not, you know, e-cigarettes are there uh, for adults who are unable to quit, but uh, it needs to be better regulated because we're having these consequences uh, that sh- simply shouldn't be happening. That was Rob Cunningham with the Canadian Cancer Society. Sorry, Brett, the idea of regulation is one I think that people have been floating around since these Mm -hmm. things came on the market. And the whole question of how do they get to market in the first place is something that one of our listeners brought up and connected it to another crisis in our country uh, that's affecting uh, thousands of people. And I'll read it this way. How is it that companies today can put out products, i.e. vaping and 
Oxycontin and not have to go through long, rigorous testing. Plus, there was a time when a product or medication took six, seven years, uh, ten sometimes, before being put on the market. Test trials, etc. Now companies can take the money and run, then fold their business. We, the public, are very vulnerable, and the fallout from the health system lands on our shoulders. And uh, I think uh, 95% of that is absolutely accurate. And I would agree with uh, what Cunningham is saying in terms of getting the the juices and whatnot out of convenience stores. Like, as far as I'm concerned, vaping products should only be sold in, as he put it, specialty vape shops. If you walk by a vape shop, you can't see inside. It says very clearly you must be 18 to enter. I've been in the vape shop where they've actually thrown people, well, not thrown people out, but kindly asked someone who was underage to leave the store because they weren't even allowed in the store. It was a couple of young guys and uh, I was sitting at the, the counter and one of the employees looked at them and said, hey, go check their ID. And mm. uh, sure enough, they had to ask one of them to leave. Said, sorry, you can't be in here. So he had to wait outside. Uh, that's how it should be because, as you mentioned, the, the, the flavored juices, yes, I understand they're appealing to children. But if you ban, just ban the flavors, then you're going to ban it for the people that it's helping if you're going to do that, then what? You, what what's next? You're going to ban all flavored alcohol? But then why not make cigarettes part of that same conversation? If you can get a pack of cigarettes at the convenience store, the local store, does it too need to be removed? Do we need to rethink that? Or is it really more about the appeal of these things because it's so? it seems so non... It almost seems healthy, some of the smells of these vape items. Well, I think, too, with the convenience stores, right, like they, they can't even display them anymore. Used to, they used but to be anyone on display. can still walk in, to the argument of having it in a place where you it's a separately held uh, retail space that would be just for those kinds of products. Yeah, We're I mean, not doing that with tobacco. You could do that. I think the thing with the, the vape stuff is they're, they're all on display. Mm-hmm. Like the, when you walk in, you can see all the vaping stuff when you walk up to the counter. And with the cigarettes, it's kind of a maybe out of sight, out of mind thing. That, I, would, that would be a tough change, but I would I would be in support of that. If there was a specialty store that sold tobacco, sure. I mean, I, I know they have tobacco, uh, what do they call it, tobacconist? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we we have smokers in this building and we have vapors in this building, and I've never once walked by anyone vaping and thought, oh. Boy, would I love to try that? I, oh, I've, no, but I've also never thought, ew, like, or gross, or that smells bothering me, right? And I don't think I want to try it, but it's not turning me off like the smell of a cigarette is, which is the problem, I think, especially when you're young and you're in that mode where, yeah, like, kids like to try new things. And so I understand that. And there, it's not, it's not unappealing. Cigarettes were unappealing to me beyond the risk factor when I was in grade seven. I had a player's light cigarette, did one or two, smoked one or two, coughed up a storm, thought, this is disgusting. I smell disgusting. My mom is mad at me. Broke up all, <laughs> broke up all my cigarette cigarettes over the sink and screamed at me. Never touched a cigarette again. But the vaping's different. It doesn't smell bad. It, it, it has an appeal to it with the device. It's a whole other conversation. Well, and there's advertising vaping products, right? In different modes. It might not be as in your face as once upon a time cigarette advertisements were. You had the Players International, like they they sponsored uh, golf tournaments, tennis tournaments. They had race cars that had the Players logo on it. So, I mean, for a long time, Joe Camel was a part of the, of the pop culture in the United States in particular. And so it was clear to a lot of people that they were marketing to kids, at least on some level. Could we argue that these vape products are being marketed to kids, even though the big companies will say, no, 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 that's not our intention. 
Do you think they're being marketed to kids? You know, actually, where I've where I've been seeing advertisements, and it's not for vaping. We talked about this. I can't remember what it's called, but it's that it's the the, the gadget where you insert uh, a cigarette and it heats it. It doesn't burn it. Um, it's it's kind of like a vaporizer, but not really. So it just heats the the, the cigarette. Uh, anyway, I've been seeing ads for that on Tinder lately. Like it's one of the, every ten swipes. There's a there's an ad for this hmm. thing, so that you're so the advertising for this for non-tobacco nicotine-related products is kind of popping up everywhere. I'm sure I've seen it. Uh, I saw it once upon a time on uh, Global News website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure did. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.